Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. I'm excited to be joined today by an actor, author, paranormal researcher, uh, and Greg Lawson is here joining us today to talk about his brand new released book just, you know, this in this last week, How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. And where, where are you joining us from today? So I am uh, currently north of Austin in a little town called Georgetown, Texas. Fantastic. No, uh, we love Austin. We were just there. We interviewed the um, Haunted History Guides from the Austin Ghost Tour and uh, spent some time there during South by Southwest. And uh, yeah. it's really one of my favorite towns. And funny enough, I was looking at, before we get into the paranormal stuff, I was uh, looking at your acting resume, your CV in the acting world. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. You were in the YouTube Red movie Laser Team. I was, yeah. I was a CIA agent in that. And, uh, uh, you know, what's great about it is, what's great about having, like, a speaking role is when they cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, and all all you see is my head and me walk through the the shot and, you know, working at a computer and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I had this great role of get out, get out. You know, I was telling everybody to get out because the, uh, the time portal was going to explode. And uh, yeah, they cut all that out. And that it, must suck. And it's funny. The reason I know about that movie is because uh, they had a premiere of it in Madison because one of the actors, Jeremy St. James, uh, is from here. He played a character called Bean in the movie. And uh, he's from Madison, uh, the Madison area. And um, so he used to play in some local bands here in Madison. So that's how I knew him. And nice. actually ran into him randomly at the... Um, Amazon party at uh, South by Southwest this year. And he's like, hey, remember cool. me? And I was like too drunk to remember. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> he's like, because we used to play in bands together. So it's just, it's just a funny thing in a small world. Uh, so that's just awesome uh, that you've acted in a bun- bunch of different projects, especially in a project with a guy we know. So it just shows how uh, the entire entertainment world and the paranormal world is is a pretty small place. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, that, that show, um, that was the most fun set I've ever been on. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked on zombie films or zombie shows. I've worked on, uh, you know, from dusk till dawn, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the sun with AMC with Pierce Brosnan and the most fun (laughs) set I've ever been on was laser (laughs) team. It was hilarious. And and the director was just fantastic. Well, that's ridiculous. We'll we'll put, um, we'll have to put the trailer for that in the show notes so you guys can, can check it out. Cause it's, it is a lot of fun and it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, Greg, just a little bit. So where are you from originally and how did you get into paranormal stuff? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big step, I think for a lot of us to come out of the, uh, the weird closet, you know, because um, your friends look at you different once you <laughs> let them know uh, that you're into paranormal stuff. So kind of, you know, what was uh, your moment where you're like, okay, I'm into this and where are we going to go from here? Uh, I was five. <laughs> okay. I started a little earlier than, than a lot. Um, so yeah, I was, I was born in Kentucky. I don't remember anything about Kentucky. We moved to Louisiana and then to Texas. Um, and uh, so when I was five years old, my brother was 12 years older than me, and he would put me on his motorcycle. He had a little uh, Triumph motorcycle, and we would go driving around these back you know, roads of Texas looking for graveyards. That's what he wanted to do. So we'd ride around. We'd look for a graveyard. We'd get off. And then we'd walk around, and the, the, the kind of game we played was let's, let's find the youngest kid in the graveyard. Right. Because he would then scare me and go, look, this kid's younger than you and he's dead in the ground and stuff like that. Right. So he would torture me. Yeah. Yeah. He'd torture me. And so, so we did that. We'd, we'd go and look in like abandoned houses and stuff and how in the world we didn't ever get snake bit or, you know, arrested for criminal trespass or whatever. I don't know. But, um, 
Yeah, so it started there, and you know, uh, him being 17 at the time, by the time I was eight or nine, he had moved out of the house, and so I just started doing this with my friends. <laughs> you know, I started, you know, what do y'all want to do on Saturday? I don't know, let's go to the graveyard, and they're like, what? You know, and so we'd go mess around and, and just do a lot of urban exploration, rural explore, exploration, and uh, and kind of ghost hunting, and I'd, I'd define a ghost hunter as someone who just goes to a creepy place with no, uh, you know, preconceived notion or investigation of what they're going to find there. And they just go literally hunt weirdness, right. you know? And, and so I kind of did that, you know, and, and, uh, uh, all through high school and up into, um, uh, when I went into the army, I did a lot of that, but I started doing more research when I was in the army. Cause I got to go, go to some really cool places. Um, I, I went to, yeah, I was stationed up in Alaska. I, I was in Central America. I was in North Africa. I was in the uh, Middle East. And so, you know, back then we didn't have the internet, so I couldn't just flip to my phone and go, okay, what's the weird stuff here right. in, you know, uh, in Dubai or, you know, wherever I was. And so you would actually have to figure out where to go to find out information, you know, either historical societies like when I was up in Alaska uh, and Kodiak, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time. I was at a school there for about three weeks, and I spent a lot of time going to the library and just learning all about, you know, the Russian occupation in Alaska. A lot of people don't know that much about that history. And, you know, they did horrific things to the Native uh, Americans up there. Oh, yeah. And anyway, so, you know, I, I, I would do that. And, uh, and so that's kind of led me to where I am. So um, you went into uh, the service, right. and, and then you eventually started working in law enforcement? Right. So I, I was at the 82nd Airborne Division when I was in the Army, and when I got out, my plan was to come back to Austin and go to school and become a... a I was in a fine arts program um, and uh, going to college, and, uh, and that lasted for about a semester, and I was like, man, I'm really hungry. I'm <laughs> really... I really want some food. I need a job. Right. And so my, my, my sister was working uh, as a court reporter at the courthouse. And she said, well, the, the sheriff's office is hiring. And so I kind of reluctantly went down there to, to put in my application. And, and, you know, they hired me because of my service, uh, military service. And, uh, and so I just kind of became this reluctant cop kind of thing. You know, I, I, uh, I feel like I'm a good cop as far as I, I think I treat people really well. I, I get taken advantage of sometimes when I do that. Sure. But, um, but, but I'm more interested in whether we're doing the right thing than whether I'm making an arrest or getting a statistic or something like that. So as a, as a, as a deputy, um, I be, also became a uh, mental health investigator. There's a, there's a, like a, a small unit uh, in most police agencies that's called a, like a critical incident team member or mental health uh, officer. And you end up doing hostage negotiation. You're trained a hostage negotiator, a suicide mediator, and, and you get called out on all the people that are having uh, some sort of um, mental breakdown or psychosis, delusions or hallucinations or something. And you go out and, and, and speak with them. Well, that kind of fit right into, <laughs> you know, my, my uh, uh, preoccupation of weirdness. And so I learned a ton. Yeah, you know, I was, I was good. I did that for about two years. Uh, we had about 700 cases a year and, you know, I, I got to interview scores upon scores of people who, um, you know, b reported that they had been uh, abducted by aliens or had, uh, you know, uh, an experience with a demon or a ghost or something that really, uh, um, was tragic for them, a, a really uh, high stress situation where, you know, they would have some sort of breakdown in family or friends or, you know, just the public would see them acting strange and would go in and intervene with them. Because the uniform cops don't want to have anything to do with it. They show up and they're like, oh, this guy's crazy, you know, call mental health. And, uh, and you go over there and, you, you know, I've, I've, I've gone and, and talked to people and uh, actually gone and bought them lunch and sat there and just let them tell me their story, you know, and that I know they're not committable or anything. There's a, they obviously had had either something really traumatic happen to them or 
uh, they're mentally ill and they're just delusional about what it happened. But I, either way, I just kind of was the reporter and collected the story, you know? So that was, that was, well, we definitely want to, you know, talk a little bit about how your, you know, your experience in the armed forces and your experience in law enforcement has now, uh, you know, informed how you investigate paranormal activity or, or paranormal locations. I mean, and your book is called how to be a paranormal detective. Um, so right. we definitely want to get into that, but, but before we do, you know, was there a certain experience you had like that you can remember as your first time where really was something that you couldn't explain? Now, when we go into research, we've all, you know, read stories or we've gone into graveyards and, and gone into haunted places and, and seen a lot of weird stuff. Uh, but it's, it's that, it's that first time when you kind of move from like a complete skeptic or whatever to like, oh my God. Now I've seen something like now I'm one of the people who should be talking to the mental health reporter. Um, so, <laughs> you know, do you remember the first time you saw something where you're like, oh, I can't explain that. What's that about? Yeah. Um, and, you know, mine are, are not as good as a lot of people's stories. Uh, <laughs> mine, like uh, uh, the number one thing that affected me, I was very young. I was around five. Uh, kind of the <laughs> same time sure. that my brother was jacking with me. Um, but this was not him. It could have been him, I guess, but I don't think he could sit underneath the chair in the living room. And what I mean by that is, is um, I, I went to sleep and I had this really bad dream and I woke up and I had to go to the bathroom. And I, I remember this pretty well, you know, being five, your, your memory is a little weird, but I remember it pretty well. Right. You can really remember images and stuff. I mean, well, like you... yeah, I, I've been back to the house that this happened in as an adult and walked through it. And that's exactly how I remember the house. So I, that's one of the things I wanted to check is, you know, has my memory morphed at all, you know, by not thinking about it for a year and then you try to recall it and, and your brain naturally tries to fill in the gaps and, and people, a lot of people are a little uh, skeptical of, of me saying that. But all you have to do is is go and uh, do any kind of uh, um, uh, like visual uh, halluc- uh, like visual test online. You can go and, and and look at some of this stuff, and you know your brain will fill in the gaps where let's say there's a bunch of squares and there's uh, circles between each square. Well, there's not actually circles; it's just a white dot. But as your eye scans around, that white dot turns black because it's filling in what it thinks should be there. And so a lot of times in memory, if it's rote memory, in other words, just memorization, uh, and it's not like an episodic memory or you know a, a big event kind of thing like 9-11 or the Challenger uh, explosion or something like that, um, if, it's not in, if, it's, if it's someplace in between, your brain will fill in those gaps and make the story makes sense. That's absolutely right. I, um, I've got a, a good friend who used to work with Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, um, who she was on the board of PSYCOP, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. So she is one of those debunkers. Um, but uh, <laughs> my friend was working with her, and my friend has a very open mind. Uh, but she did you know, work on the research where they were looking at you know, not necessarily, I mean, implanted memories and not implanted in a Manchurian candidate kind of way, but implanted in that you would, you know, just doing research in suggest a story to somebody where they, you know, be like, Hey, remember when we were kids and you did this? And they'd be like, no, I don't remember. And then you'd let it simmer for a while. And then eventually they'd be like, Hey, remember we did this when we were kids? And it would be something that never happened. And because, you know, we can do that. Our minds will do that. Yeah, parents do that a lot, you know, and, and uh, especially uh, uh, children who are abused, uh, you know, they will fill in and, and go over and over and over again, you know, something else or, or that they're not abused or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, and I'm not a debunker, but if it's not paranormal, it's not paranormal. Let's right. just yeah. say it the way it is. It's, it's not. I can't prove that, you know, that your memory changed over time, uh, but there's enough uh, scientific data out there and there's, a, there's enough research to say that, yes, that is the fact, uh, that it does happen. Uh, but, uh, and, and I want to clarify something, you know, as far as there's a lot of people out there that talk 
that they are skeptics and they're debunkers, right? Um, to be a detective, to be an investigator is to be skeptic. Uh, it's not to be cynic and it's not to be gullible. You have to be a skeptic on the information that you receive, whether it's testimonial information or, or hard evidence, physical evidence, so, or, uh, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence. You have to be skeptical uh, about whether that makes sense. You know, you, you look at something and you go, does it make sense that this would be here? In other words, uh, let's say somebody uh, is in a house and they see a full-bodied apparition with a, uh, uh, a cell phone in their hand walking through the house crying, let's say. Okay. You go, okay, well, you know, that's, you know, some sort of ghost, something really bad happened. It's a, you know, it's uh, uh, maybe it's some sort of psychic impression. Maybe it's some sort of time warp thing that we're seeing through or whatever. But the question is, is does that apparition make sense to where you are and when you are there? And so you do the research, you find out, well, this house is only 15 years old. It's only been here for, for, you know, um, uh, you know, for 15 years, and it was the the land was owned by a goat farmer uh, prior to that for 40 years, and he got it from his father who had it for 40 years, and then prior to that it was a you know Spanish plat, and then prior to that the Indians uh, you know roamed around on it. So you look and you go, okay, let's research any 911 calls. You know, did somebody come here? Did anybody else live in the house that would you know resemble this image? Um, you know, you go through all this and does it make any sense? And, and when you come up with nothing, well, then you got nothing. That's just, you know, you, you don't have anything. Right. Um, and, and so you're not gullible going, Oh yeah, let's get out our K2 meter. Let's get out our spirit box. Let's get on our phone. And, you know, cause they're on their phone. They're walking around with their phone. Let's, let's see if we can make contact with them. And maybe you can, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, 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 a spatial displacement and they're there instead of where they're supposed to be. Sure. You know, I can keep making up stuff all day long of why this thing is there, but it's, it's my job as a paranormal, I'm using air quotes, paranormal detective, right? not a ghost hunter and not a paranormal investigator. I'm a paranormal detective. I use above and beyond what everybody else is using, in, including uh, forensic interview techniques through, you know, written statements or previous statements, newspaper articles, you know, whatever. And so I'm, I, I try to make sense out of it. And if I can't make sense out of it, I just shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, if I debunk it along the way, then I have to tell you, yeah, no, this, this is what it really is. But that you, you have the debunkers that have hijacked the word skeptic. They're not skeptics. They're cynics. There, when you say, hey, I had this experience, they're going to roll their eyes and then sit there and listen to you and then go, you're full of crap. Well, that's a great that's a great uh, point. The idea that the difference between a debunker and a skeptic, a skeptic, it's like, OK, we have to figure out if this story makes sense or not. A debunker's job is to say, like, this is why your story's not true. I mean, it's it's how you start in the offset. Um, that's not yep. a way to find the truth. That's a way to prove a point. Exactly. That's 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 perfect. I'm going to steal that statement. Please do. <laughs> yeah, there's no better way to explain. When you're talking about your for, first uh, experience and what you're saying, so let's go down that. So, okay, you're back okay. in the house where something happened, and tell us what happened, and then tell us uh, how you would try to detect it. Um, you know, a little bit like how, how you know how you would go through and be like, all right, well, let's see if this experience has something to it. Yeah, uh, because I was five, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Right. But so, so what happened was I had this dream and the, the, and this makes no sense, but this is the only way that I can explain it to you is the blonde lady was coming to get me. <laughs> that was, okay. that was my dream experience. Like I've had a few dreams head. like that, but, uh, you know, they yeah. weren't that scary. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. But th this was more along the lines of a, uh, old hag syndrome kind oh, of thing. Yeah. She was, you know, I, I couldn't move and she's staring at me and all that stuff. So anyway, I wake up, I'm freaked out. I got to go to the bathroom. So I get up and I have to go out of my room, take a right and walk down the hall, go through the little living room to the bathroom because I'm, I'm on one side of the house. And as I'm going through the living room, hands start coming out from underneath the couch and grabbing a hold of me. 
man. And I'm kicking them, I'm kicking them, I'm kicking them, and, and finally get back to my room and get under the covers, and that's the end of my story. So as far as detecting that, I mean, there's no way for me to even go back and recreate, obviously, because there's it's somebody else's house now. It's been somebody else's house for, well, it's been several people's houses since then. Um, but that was one of the things that, that really, you know, as a five-year-old and you have that, it was really, really uh, vivid. It wasn't like a regular dream. It was vivid. It was like a real experience. And I, I assume being an adult and being a guy that was going to get his degree in psychology right. and went through everything all the way through his BA until statistical analysis for behavioral sciences. And I went, I don't want to do this because I don't want to hear your problems. <laughs> you know, like, I, now I'm not going to sit here and listen to people whine and complain all day long. And no. Um, so I changed my degree. But with that background, I can convince my adult self that there was nothing to that. That was a dream and there's nothing to it. Just like any other quote unquote adult will tell children, there's no such thing as monsters. There's no such thing as ghosts. Go back to sleep. But tomorrow morning when we go to church, we're going to pray to, you know, right. And they'll, yeah, they believe in the supernatural, but they don't believe in the paranormal. Um, and so there's, there's kind of a line in the sand there. So that was one of them. And then another one that was just kind of completely out of the blue. I was 16 years old working at pizza hut. Um, I was assistant manager at 16. All you people that are listening, don't be haters. You know, some of us are just talented that way. (laughs) So, so I was assistant manager at pizza hut at 16 and I'm standing between the ovens and the prep table. And I had hired this girl about uh, a couple of weeks prior to this incident happening. Uh, she was like 20, 21 years old, really pretty. So, you know, obviously she'd make a great waitress right. <laughs> in my 16 year old mind, you know, of course. And, uh, and so she's, she's got her, uh, her notepad in one hand and a pen in the other. And she's walking toward me from the dining area past the, the cashier area, the, the cashiers are walking up to me and her eyes are huge. And she has this absolutely terrified look on her face right and she walks up to me and this is pre-poltergeist so she didn't get the line from the movie uh she walks up and she takes a hold of my hand and then just says really loudly and i won't do it here but really loudly they're here like that and then just locks up like a piece of concrete just locks up like a board right oh man completely stiff uh, completely catatonic. Her eyes are just fixed, looking straight at me, kind of when I move around, they wouldn't move. You know, she's just stuck there. Right. And, uh, and so I'm trying to get her to come with me and come to the back of the restaurant and she won't move at all. And I look down and she has urinated on herself. Holy crap. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, right, right, 60 right, right. years old. So I just kind of, I just kind of hang on to her hands and, 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 you know, try to talk, come on, come on to the back, come on to the back. And finally she starts relaxing a little bit and she starts walking to the back with me. And as we get to the back, I sit her down, she sits down and, and I go back out to the front to clean up, you know, her, her accident. And I go back and talk to her and she said, yeah, it happens all the time. It's been happening since she was a little kid. Uh, the aliens come and abduct her, take her to the spaceship, do these horrific experiments on her, and then return her to her body. And that, you know, for my 16-year-old mind to wrap around it, yeah, was like, okay, but you were here. She goes, yeah, but they take me in some other way, uh, and and they do these things to me, right? Now, what time of night was it? Was this like after? Was this when you guys were cleaning up? Was this like during? No, this is customers. This is during. Yeah, there's customers there, and they they saw you know some people that were there at the uh, cash register checking out saw her, you know, and saw what happened. Right, and so I, you know, I'm. I, she worked there for uh, uh, you know for a couple of more weeks and had another episode like that. 
And I called the general manager because our manager had been uh, had quit, and that's why I was assistant manager just because we didn't have a manager. And so, um, the the general manager came over. And he said, "Look, um, send her up to the hospital and have them look at her. We'll pay for her the pizza hut. We'll pay for her the bill." And so she went up to the hospital, and they ended up giving her an MRI, and she had a big scar on her brain. Right. Which I, I, I didn't know then, but it was in the middle of her brain. Um, and I know now that that's the corpus callosum. It's the uh, it, it's the thing that connects the right and left hand side of your brain. Right. Uh, and those those neurons in there don't have what's called a myelin sheath. It's uh, uh, it's like a protective sheath for your uh, for your nerve. And the corpus callosum doesn't have that and is subject to damage for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, uh, the, the women that are listening will, will like this. Men's brains are damaged more than women's because of testosterone. <laughs> it, it, it kills the corpus callosum between the right and left-hand side of the brain. That's why men aren't really good at multitasking and we kind of think about things in one one particular linear way because we got brain damage, so deal with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, and so she had this big scar, right? And they immediately diagnosed her as epileptic and, you know, put her on medication. That's it. It's over. All right. She's not, uh, you know, epileptic. And, but my question is, and, and, you know, all of us rational thinking people can sit back and go, I know the answer to this question. But my question is, did the scar on her brain cause the epilepsy or did the epilepsy cause the scar or did what the aliens did to her caused the scar yeah. to project itself as epilepsy, you know, and, and rational people, people will sit back and go, okay, what's the most likely scenario of this? What's the largest amount of physical evidence, um, not testimonial, not anecdotal, but physical evidence and data. She's an epileptic. Something happened to her as a child caused this, this scar and it, it causes this, uh, you know, neural interruption or, you know, it, to make these things happen to her. But, you know, throw inductive reasoning in there a little bit and go, oh, well, there's a lot of anecdote, a lot of testimonial evidence that people get abducted and that there are visitors from other planets coming and manipulating and, and messing with humans. This would be, uh, a, you know, a good example of that, I guess. A great way to cover it up, too. Um and sure. What what I think that story is fascinating is that you know I I've met a lot of people who will do some crazy things for attention. I mean I'm an I'm a musician, so I'm uh-huh. not I'm very used to other people doing wild stuff because they want people to pay attention to. Them. Sure. But the uh, like wetting your pants is farther than almost anybody will go. Like that's uh, that's an on with the show thing where you're like uh, across you know I draw the line and. <laughs> Right, and yeah. so that that kind of thing is like holy, like that some kind of seizure. It's it's something, and and then you wonder if um, there's areas of her brain that are talking that you know her like like with schizophrenia where people don't recognize that it's their own brain talking to them and think it's coming from outside right. their head. Uh, you know, you think that if she's having damage and you know parts parts of the brain can't talk to each other. Uh, is, you know, does it feel like aliens are taking over her mind? Does it feel like a paranormal experience? Because it feels like there is something non-physical taking over her mind um, and causing sure. these seizures to happen. And even if it's not a completely paranormal experience, it's still terrifying to have that your own body is betraying you and you can't control it. Right. And, and most people uh, take for granted what they see. They go, okay, this is my world. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk, I'm looking across, I see papers, I see books, I see, you know, my shelves and stuff. And I go, okay, that's, that's real to me. Well, no, it's not. And, and just live with me here for just a second. Sure. Um, we, I don't see that. That is not what I am seeing. That is my brain's interpretation of what I believe is there. Okay. Because your eyes are not lenses to the world. They're not letting in this picture and shining it up on a wall someplace where you're watching it like a movie. Your eyes are literally just receptors and they're picking up the electromagnetic spectrum and the visual, 
you know, uh, realm and just the colors that we can see, which there's a whole lot of other spectrum out there that we can't see right. ultraviolet, infrared, microwave, all that stuff. Um, it's all the same stuff. It's just at different wavelengths. So we have this, like this little visual wavelength that we can see that's very small and these receptors in our eyes, pick them up, turn it into chemical and electronic pulses, send them back to the back of your brain. Your back of your brain receives it and then has to recreate what you see. And we assume what we see is true. And then when you add in what you just said, as far as schizophrenia, if you have some sort of disruption between different parts of the brain and there's information being fed into that area, you know, that, that your visual stimulus is coming into and you get a little extra fed into that area. Then that's when you see the pink elephant walk through the room or, you know, whatever other visuals, right. you know, hallucination that you might have. And it's really funny talking to people that don't study it or don't understand it. And they're just like, well, yeah, can't you tell the difference? It's a pink elephant. There's no such thing as a pink elephant. Well, dude, I'm telling you, if you have schizophrenia and you see a pink elephant, it's really there. You believe it's there. You know, it's, it, it is there for you. Because there is no difference. There is no difference in between what's, I mean, in between what your eyes see, the information, because it's, it's all just being processed by your brain. And it's just, it's like somebody putting something extra in the programming. I mean, that's why when people yep. take, uh, you know, psilocybin and stuff like that, um, you know, their surroundings haven't changed. You know, people, they take a trip from their couch or whatever and, right. uh, you know, have, right. have delusions or hallucinations and it's just as real in, in their brain um, as looking at your shelves and looking at the lamp and uh, I'm looking at a picture of you right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we, I maybe, mean, maybe you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and that's the thing. And so that's a great way to put it. We, we have to think about uh, the way people see things and, and the way visual information is processed. Because, I mean, that goes back to seeing is believing. Can you believe everything you see? And, I mean, someone would say, because hallucinations exist, we have to think, uh, you know, we always have to question, um, you know, what people see and, and figure out, uh, you know, what it could be. You know, one of the things I'm wondering about, um, in your in your career in talking to people in uh, investigating and having to interview uh, you know hundreds of people probably in the, in the mental health capacity as well as the law enforcement law enforcement capacity did you ever have something where you talk to them and you're like oh my god this is a, this might be a like a paranormal case or something like this or this isn't this isn't for the police uh, we got to call in an exorcist or something so no, I've never called in an exorcist, but, um, I have, so we walk a very thin line, uh, in the United States, as far as, uh, how we exercise fourth amendment, uh, protection. And so in other words, if a person's not in uh, a danger to themselves or others, and they're not experiencing severe psychosis or deterioration, then we leave them alone. In other words, that's why you see how many street people there are now. Uh, the Dehospitalization De Act back in 1984 kicked a bunch of people out of the state hospitals because while they're mentally ill, they're not a danger to themselves or others. Right, and the Fourth Amendment is about, uh, you know, you can't do... Uh, like just random search and seizures. It can't be like the British right. government where soldiers, you know, in the Revolutionary War, the soldiers would come in and just take stuff. The British soldiers would come in and yeah. take stuff from the colonials. And that's the whole reason we have a, uh, you know, a Fourth Amendment so that police officers and army guys can't just walk in and be like, give me your guns or whatever. That's right. And, you know, uh, uh, many law enforcement agencies in the United States require a GED for your police officers. You know, they, they give them... They have a GED and they go through their police academy and then they're a cop. And it's amazing because they have the authority to take an American citizen's rights away from them and incarcerate them, uh, you know, detain them. Uh, and but you have to do it correctly under the under the Fourth Amendment. Absolutely. So um, in doing some of the the I'd say, let's say you get to an intervention part where you get called and there's a whole bunch of religious people there and they're all praying and they're 
saying that, she, you know, this individual is uh, possessed by demons and everything. And I go do my investigation. Go, okay, they're not in danger to themselves or uh, not an immediate endangered to themselves or others. Um, and, uh, I don't have their history. They don't have a history of psychosis or anything like that. Will they benefit from treatment? And they firmly believe that they're, uh, possessed at that point, I'll ask them to come with me for a voluntary, uh, examination. If they don't go, well, I'm not going to take them. They have friends and family there. They're taking care of them. They're going to exercise it and I'm out. Um, because in, in that capacity, we really have to be very careful about not stepping over, uh, into the paranormal world, uh, because everybody needs to stay in their lane. Everybody has a job to do. And if everybody would just do, do their own job and quit complaining about everybody not doing, you know, everybody else right. not doing theirs, we would, we would get a lot more stuff done. And so I try to stay in my lane depending on what my role is. Um, so yeah, I've been to a lot of those and, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I'm, I'm, I, I jokingly say I'm a recovering Catholic, <laughs> but I'll always be that way. I, I will always believe that there is something else. Um, I just don't believe certain things. I just, they, it just, they don't make sense to me. And when you study history, you go, Oh yeah, I would have made up that rule too <laughs> you know, <laughs> to control the population. That's what I would have said. So yeah. And, 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 and just being an investigator, when you're doing stuff like that and you're, you're showing up, you know, you, you have to be a skeptic. You have to have unregulated suspicion. You have to have morbid curiosity. You have to have those types of things to try to figure this out and not just go, Oh, you know, there's a ghost here. All right. Where's my K2 meter. Let me get my spirit box out. You know, let's start talking. Um, and that's fine. If you want to do that. And if you want to go ghost hunting, that's fine. If you want to go run around in weird places, drinking beer and having a good time and not damaging or committing any crimes, that's fine. Right. Uh, but if you want to be taken seriously, maybe as an investigator, you should take a 40 hour class on how to interview somebody. You know, it's like, well, what, what's there to interview in somebody is who, what, when, where, why, and how, how hard is that? Well, to get the information properly out of people and not lead them not groom them into saying what you want them to say. There's a lot to it. Uh, that's why, you know, cops for who, what, when, where, why, and how that's 40 hours of training. And then if you want to do, you know, uh, a statement to take a statement, that's another 40 hours of training. And if you want to do statement analysis, that's another 80 hours of training. Then if you want to go through the read technique, that could be up to four weeks of training on how to interrogate, you know, cross-examine, uh, and, uh, and, and properly interview a person who's being deceptive. So there's a whole lot to it. And most, and I'm not faulting anybody, so don't get all offended. Right. Um, uh, but most people don't have any of that training. And that is the investigation is getting the proper information from folks. I read books all the time. I re read a book the other day. They had interviewed over 700 people in this one case. Well, I, I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, well, about 30 people out of the 700 know anything about it. Right. So the rest of them were just, you know, knew somebody who knew somebody or saw something go through town that looked like it might've been something to have to do with something. And it was just like, okay, quality versus quantity, right? Qualitative approach or quantitative approach. Do you want is more witnesses that weren't really there that you interviewed that has anecdotal evidence or, uh, you know, uh, uh, read something about something about something that somebody said, and then they relay it to you. Or do you want that two or three people that were really there and concentrate on them, you know, do regressive therapy on do what, whatever you need to do to really, try to get that information out. Well, I, I think, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, you talk about this, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I know that you have done uh, a bunch of interviews, uh, for the Roswell UFO crash and you've done interviews for, yep. um, like Don Schmidt. And we, you know, we just had Don on, um, to talk about the passing of Stanton Friedman. I talked about his memories of Stanton and, and, you know, their, uh, friendly rivalry and things like that in, in, in trying to get to the truth in Roswell. So, you know, 
when you're going through and doing these interviews and getting, I mean, is this one of the reasons that you decided to write How to Be a Paranormal Detective uh, to help people in their, uh, their research and investigation so that we can get, you know, more reliable interviews from people? Absolutely. You know, I, when I first got into like the, the paranormal community, uh, officially, I really didn't realize there was that many people, you know, I wasn't watching the, the TV shows and stuff. And, uh, um, I wrote a book called, uh, zombie advocacy. And it was a satirical book that nobody bought because nobody wants to advocate for them. They all want to shoot them in the head. So it was pretty <laughs> much the end of my book. I think I, I think they ran 2,500 copies and went, "Yeah, sorry, Mr. Lawson, you suck. We're not gonna make, we're not gonna run this book anymore." So anyway, um, I got a I got a call from uh, some folks down in New Orleans, and they said, "Hey," or I, I didn't get a call. I got an email. Sure are you the, the zombie advocacy guy? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, well, do you ever talk at conventions? I'm like, sure. <laughs> you know, I had, I had spoken at several law enforcement conventions, but not any of the paranormal stuff. And they said, well, we'd like for you to come down and do a one hour uh, presentation on zombies. And I said, okay. You know? And so they paid me a little bit of money, flew me over there and, uh, got there and they were real voodoo priestess and stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, wait a second. No. This is like Walking Dead zombie. This is like not not like Serpent in the Rainbow zombie. Yeah, and so I went in there and I turned it into a comedy shtick. Is what I did because I was like, I hope they don't kill me. I hope they don't put a curse on me or something <laughs> for tricking them. But they, it, it was great. I'm actually still I still communicate with a couple of the the folks uh, that were there. Um, they were really cool about it. Um, they thought it was funny. You know that they, they were like, oh, we we thought you were some sort of special guy with your master's in education. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm a goof with the master's of education. And, <laughs> and yeah, and, and just, you know, I just wrote the book cause I see so many zombies every day. And, uh, um, so I, uh, I think that, um, I think that we have to look behind the curtain. I think that we have to, uh, try to figure out, uh, and, and not take things for face value. And, sure. and you know, Don Schmidt. So I, I, I think I have written someplace or I've said someplace that I have done interviews for Don Schmidt uh, and Tom Carey. And I actually, if you, if you want to be uh, technical about it, I actually had, I did it for Tom Carey. Okay. Uh, although it was when Tom Carey and Don Schmidt were collaborating on things. Right. We just know, we just know Don better because we live in Wisconsin. And Don's great, man. I love Don. You know, um, he has done, Stan Freeman did a lot of work on Roswell, but in my opinion, Don has done more intensive work, more, sure. you know, uh, uh, out talking to people, you know, just going through all, the, those guys have covered that as good as you can get it. Um, the only other thing that, that they're missing is a damn spaceship and maybe an alien or two because <laughs> right, the physical proof there's no, there's, there's no rocks they haven't turned over. You know, they've done what they can do at this point. Um, and if it, if it was not just some sort of government cover up for the, you know, atomic race or the, you know, some sort of special project or something like that. And if it was a, a vehicle that came from another place, either another time, another place, traveled all the way here, crashed, um, what else are you going to do? Those guys and their books are great. Uh, and I can't even imagine following up with what, what do you do next other than right. somehow <laughs> find the spaceship. That, that's, that's the big one. You know, I mean, it's just, it's awesome that you've been involved in, you know, a whole bunch of different kinds of investigations and got to use the talents um, that you developed, uh, you know, as a, as a law enforcement officer and interviewing all those people into, you know, moving them into the, um, you know, just talking to people with paranormal experiences and, and trying to get behind that the best they can. I was wondering, is there any particular case that, you know, you feel you've worked on and interviewed people about and talked and, and you're thinking like, this is the most convincing one that I have um, that there's something else out there uh, that we don't understand. Because there's, there's stuff that's easily 
you know, debunkable or, you know, easily be a skeptic about. Like we talk about what happened, a terrifying thing that happened at Pizza Hut. Like, I don't, I mean, if that happened to me, I'd be like, oh my God, like, you know, <laughs> um, and, and so when things like that happen, you're like, okay, well, you know, she, she did have a, a scar in her corpus callosum. She was, you know, she was, you know, diagnosed as an epileptic. And is, is in your, in your research and in your investigations, there's some people you've talked to or things you've seen where you're like, you know what, I've gone through every kind of debunking thing here and I can't figure out, uh, you know, I can't figure out what it is. So I've, um, a, a lot of the places that I go, probably a majority of the places I go, I go by myself. So, uh, it, when, when I was up in Alaska, I went to some really amazing places up there, uh, and had my own experiences, whatever. And they were, they were typically more of a metaphysical type experience. Um, and you know, I've, I've been to, uh, uh, Corvin Castle or Hunadora Castle over in Romania. And, you know, I mean, Vlad the Impaler was there, you know, and I'm walking around in there by myself in the middle of the night. Um, I've been to Warwick Castle in England and, you know, some of these other, um, uh, like, uh, um, Lep Castle in Ireland. I, I didn't spend very much time at Lep, but I didn't have any real, prominent experiences at some of the famous places. It seems like I have a, a, some more of my kind of weirdness uh, at, you know, like random little places, different places. And, but like I said, it, if there's a whole bunch of people around, I, I've been around a whole bunch of ghost hunters before and had some interesting things happen, like on a spirit box, it says some things that correlate to what we're doing. And it's like, how in the hell, you know, I start doing a statistical you know, think what, what, what's the likelihood of that spirit box saying that right now? You know, when you say who just walked in the room and the spirit box says Ryan, and it was Ryan that just walked in the room. How did that happen? You right. know, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, but so uh, one of my latest, my, one of my investigations last year, um, a, a lady up in Merrill Wells called me up and said that she had just bought uh, what's called Haunted Hill House up in Merrill Wells. And she asked that I, if I would come up and investigate it and try to figure out what's going on. And I, I, I agreed, but my uh, agreeing to it is you have to give me the house for 24 hours and, and not have, you know, no one else on property, just me. And so she agreed to it. So I went up there and I do the stuff that other paranormal investigators don't do. And I'm hoping that they will do sometime. If they read my book, they might do it. Um, there's a whole bunch of holes that paranormal investigators leave. Uh, for instance, when's the last time you've seen a paranormal investigator using a metal detector at a, you know, a, at a site? Everybody has a K2, but um, I have not seen a metal no detector. No metal detector. Yeah. Okay, check this out. So I, I go up to this house, and uh, they have this big, long, uh, anecdotal history of what the house was. The house was a brothel. Uh, it was a uh, uh, a place where they shipped booze, moonshine, and uh, uh, and did bootlegging out of there for a hotel that's right beside. It's a f- uh, pretty amazing place. And so, if if the rich people that were at the hotel wanted to go and get a prostitute, well, they would go over to Hill House, and that was a the brothel, right? So they have this big, long history about all this and all the the, the girls that work there and, and this stuff, and a child that died upstairs, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can go on, right? Sure. That, that Those are all very common stories of, of places. I mean, the, sure. the, whole, uh, the whole booze during Prohibition. Uh, the brothel, yep. the kid who died upstairs. Sometimes they'll say the kid's like a prostitute's son, or something like that. It is, yep. Right. It. it I feel like there is this entire like layer of urban myths um, and stories that go along with any of these places uh, that have um, experiences that have you know maybe hauntings and stuff like that from a certain era. Uh, they seem to all be there. So I'm I'm with you on this. Yep. You cry baby bridge. You know when I when I was a kid. And we had Cry Baby Bridge in Rockdale, and you would walk across it, and you could hear a child crying, and you know somewhere in the water down there. Well, it's it's a you know a, a riveted bridge, and when you adjust weight on it, 
hat. It sounds like it's, right. you know, it sounds like a, a baby crying. Um, so there's, there's crybaby bridges all over the United States. And I thought it was just in Rockdale. Well, in this case, so I'm, I'm looking at him like, all right, so how am I going to approach this? I go in and I shut the power off to the whole house, no electricity in the house. I take a K2 meter, I go through there and I try to identify any other residual electrical, uh, you know, spots in the house that I can pick up. Uh, I, I, I have a wall stud finder. I do all kinds of stuff with the, you know, and try to eliminate things. Uh, so I, I did four years, uh, uh, army, right. As an infantry parachutist, I did four years Navy as an operations specialist. And I did two years, uh, air force as a uh, security force protector. And so from my air force training, I know how to secure a building. Uh, sure. there are certain ways that, that you can do it. And, you're going to know whether somebody came in or whether they breached an area or whatever it is. So I know how <laughs> to make sure nobody sneaks in on me. Right. And so uh, I set up my little countermeasures in the house and I, I set up a video and audio in the house, which I use, uh, you know, um, uh, GoPros and uh, old analog uh, tape uh, video and also digital and analog uh, audio. Right. So I, I, I set up my own stuff. I don't use their stuff that's already set up. And then I'll let the house cook for a little while. I leave uh, and I go and I metal detect the back. Well, I find an, uh, a, f- a folding knife from the 19, it looked like the 1930s, old, old uh, folding knife. Sure. I found a, 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 a girl's earring. I found a bracelet, a girl's bracelet. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, well, I've, there's things here. I need to get somebody in here. Like I said, I stay in my lane, right? So I need to get somebody in here that I trust that is a really good metal detector. So, um, I went and I, I got underneath the house. I went under the house uh, and there's all these weird, uh, like rooms (laughs) drawn underneath the house. Right. Okay. Which could have been just some kids messing around down there or could be something else. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what it is. And so I looked at a couple of things that they told me, talked to me about, and, um, you, you know, it's very, very compelling. Well, I, I stay the whole night and I have three experiences in the house. Um, I have one where a door opened on me twice and there's no way in hell <laughs> that door should have opened. Uh, I, I debunked if they had an automatic opener on it, I debunked, you know, wind i do you debunk that the latch wasn't catching properly um and it's just bizarre and when i was going down the stairs i was upstairs about two o'clock in the morning i'm going down the stairs i get hit in the neck with a rock and when i go to try that the rock hits me in the neck it falls on the on the uh the stairs it bounces uh, you know a couple of times and i'm looking around i I look around for what could have happened i kind of debunk that they have a, a pygmy with a, you know, a blow dart (laughs) in the wall trying to get me. I look for everything. Then I go back down the stairs and I can't find the rock either. Now, uh, one of the urban or one of the stories, anecdotal stories was that the little boy that died upstairs, uh, will throw rocks. So I find it very interesting that that happened. Um, I got a really good adrenaline dump out of it at well, two o'clock course. in the morning by myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so there was no place like there wasn't like just like a whole bunch of rocks on the or you know no, from people no, people no, brought no. in like on the side of the stairs. People might have brought in with their shoes or something like that. It wasn't no, no sir. And so that's I, uh, that's I, something amazing. I spent about an yeah, I spent about an hour there. So um, uh, about four o'clock in the morning, I'm going back upstairs because every. Every hour I collect my video and audio and I go into the kitchen and I download it onto my laptop and I replace it with other video and audio. Right. So I'm going, I'm going to go back upstairs and, and, and replace the video and audio upstairs. And I start walking up the stairs to get about halfway and a ball of light comes out of the kitchen and goes out the front door out of the corner of my eye. You know, I'm looking up the stairs, which is really dark. I didn't, you know, like, like I said, I, I, I powered down the house. So I just had a little, my little handheld light. Uh, and this light comes out of the kitchen in the corner of my, eye, and as I look for it, 
that I turn to look for it, it zooms out the front door. And I get a great adrenaline dump out of that. That was right, awesome. Of course. I'm like, oh my God, well that, you know? Um, and so anyway, uh, I, I do my investigation and I, I, I leave the next day. I do my research. Yes. A little boy who had Down syndrome actually died in the house. Huh. Uh, so we got that. I don't know whether he died upstairs or not, but I know that, you know, that they have a historical record as far as a death certificate coming from that. Uh, he was the child of one of the tenants of the house, which that could be a tenant or that could have been a prostitute because sure. it would have been about the same time they saved some prostitute you know, that they were running a brothel there. Um, a few uh, weeks later, the friend of mine, her name is uh, Gypsy Jewel. You can find her at uh, uh, zerodiscrimination.com, I think. And so I asked her to go out and, and work it as far as metal detecting, right? She went out and she found all kinds of stuff. And the cool thing that she found was uh, condom containers. Back in the old days, uh, they were uh, uh, like the lambskin reusable you wash them out oh sure and they oh, come sure. in a, like they come in like a little uh, metal uh like it's like a snuff case right like a little snuff tin huh yeah she found those on property and and you know old bottles uh on property so that would lead you to believe okay there there possibly could have been some activity there you know you know you say there's a brothel there in the 1930s and then you find bottles from the 1930s and you find condoms right you know, that there's something to that the so yeah you know you, you got a little bit of supportive evidence that this is happening uh you don't have any uh supportive evidence from police reports because the police reports were supporting the brothel you know right. so that, that's always the inductive reasoning of oh the reason that we don't have police reports is because the police were you know bad they were uh they were in cahoots with uh, you know the 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 booze smugglers and the, and the prostitutes. So that's always a great answer to it. So you you go through all that, and then, so that that's the case that I'm still working on because for me, there's a lot more to it. Also, there was a there was a girl that was murdered uh, up in Mineral Wells about ten, eleven, twelve years ago, uh, and uh, and there was some. Uh, testimonial evidence that she had been at that house previously to being murdered. Um, and so that's, some people have a belief that that folding knife that I found uh, is actually the, the victim girl who was murdered's father's knife. Oh. Um, and so I don't, I don't know whether that's true or not, sure. but I, I, I find that it's, 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 it was just all this circumstantial stuff and you got a little bit of physical evidence and, uh, that, that kind of supports what possibly maybe could have happened. But you know, you know what they say in, in like, uh, in human resources or whatever, it's like, okay, if it's do not documented, it didn't happen. Right. Well, no, it, it did happen. <laughs> it, you know, just because you don't write it down doesn't mean, you know, an event didn't happen, uh, for, for, uh, uh, an administrative hearing, maybe that's true. But in real life, no. And just because you didn't document it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But anyway, you know, you go through evidence, you go through things like that, and you try to figure out, well, you know, does it make sense why something would be there? You look, you look at the location. You know, they're saying it was a brothel. You look at the events and say, okay, there would be sexual activity, and I got condom wrappers or, or cases. Uh, and then, you know, then would the explanation of, uh, the paranormal event or, you know, whatever the phenomena is that happens, does that make sense that it would happen there? Uh, and then, and then bottom line, you have to go, you have to make a, de a decision sooner or later. It's either founded. Yeah. Um, you know, these events would lead a, a reasonable person to believe a paranormal event occurred or it's unfounded because you've debunked it. You know, the, the cause of the event is something naturally occurring, like uh, I told you about the ball of light that came out of right. the, the, the kitchen and went out the front door. Three weeks later, I had that happen to me in my house multiple times. I called my wife. She's a para-optometric. She works for an optometrist. And I said, I have this experience. She goes, you need to get in and see. We have to look at your eye. 
So they went in and they looked at my optic nerve. Everything was okay, but they diagnosed uh, me with having uh, um, a, a, it's, it's a, uh, a migraine that happens in your eye and it uh -huh. causes light flashes. So uh, ophthalmic migraine is what it's called. And so you're getting uh, these light flashes and it can, everything from dehydration, which uh, it was Texas in August and it's, you know, 110 degrees outside. Uh, so, uh, dehydration could have brought it on, uh, my age could have brought it on, you know, all, all these different things. So you have to go, okay, well, the, the ball of light happened to me there. And then it happens to me at home. I go to the doctor, the doctor says I'm having ophthalmic migraines. I have some spasms in there. And so I have to debunk the ball of light, which I did not want to do. Right, of course I not, that's that great. To be one of, <laughs> I wanted that to be my, you know, my really hardcore paranormal experience that the spirit was, you know, leaving out of the house or right, something. Running out. And yeah, no, no. So anyway, you know, it, it's either founded, it's unfounded, or like most of them, it's undetermined. So there's only three events that, the only three conclusions you can come to sure. is those, founded, unfounded, or undetermined. And undetermined is just going to be, you lack the physical evidence to, you know, prove uh, a way to make a determination. In other words, um, while the Roswell, everybody will agree that the government lied to us at Roswell, the investigation was handled shoddle, you know, badly, right. was not documented. Um, and then 30 years go by, people forget about it, and it gets on the news, or not the news, but it gets on TV, People start calling in, people are asking questions, you know, people start coming forward with their story of the event and it's all conjured up again. Uh, but bottom line, we conjure it up, get all this great you know, information, but we still don't have any of the pieces that were recovered because uh, they're either in a storage facility someplace or they were destroyed. Uh it, you know, we don't have a spaceship or, or right. alien. So that people will say, no, with the amount of witnesses we've had come forward, the amount of uh, circumstantial evidence we have, testimonial evidence we have, they use that word testimonial evidence to make it sound stronger than just a victim or witness statement. I have testimonial. What sounds better? I have testimonial evidence or I have a witness statement. Right. Of course, you know, you know, so they, they use these words to make it sound stronger. And they say, well, if I would have taken all this to a grand jury, a grand jury would indict. They would say, yes, there was a spaceship crash here. And I don't know about that. Um, you know, there, it, it, there's a, I, I've worked, a, uh, I've worked homicide cases before that the suspects tell you so many lies that at, at a certain point, you don't know what's true or what's not. Sure. It's, it's so convoluted that you don't know you're, you know, up from down. Uh, you know that they were, the person was murdered and you know who did it, but you don't know how it was actually accomplished. Well, that's what I, um, that's what I love about, you know, what you were just talking about in, uh, your investigation technique. Uh, first of all, you started with something, uh, securing the house. You, then you, uh, turned off the power. You did those things and you have a system going and doing it. And so a system for investigation also includes a system for interviewing people in order to get the best information you can get out of them. And it sounds like a great start for people will be to read How to Be a Paranormal Detective, which is now available. And you guys can check that out. Uh, there'll be links in the show notes. This is going to be othersidepodcast.com slash 250 is where you can find the show notes and the links to uh, How to Be a Paranormal Detective just released and you can grab it on Amazon, and then you can go through. It's forward, forwards by Jeff Belanger. He's a friend of the show. He's been on. And he's obviously an awesome storyteller. And you can have a chance to uh, read Greg's book and learn some of these techniques that he's learned in decades of being a uh, a criminal investigator. And you can bring some of that uh, into paranormal investigation, and hopefully get a kid to throw rocks at you sometime. <laughs> that's, that, right. that, that's a great story and I also have links to your website and you got a video from Hill House on there 
and people can check that out there. So Greg, I want to thank you for spending uh, some time this morning. Do you have any upcoming events where people can, can see you? The only event that I have scheduled, I did 27 events last year, and I'm Holy like, God. I am never, ever, I'm never going to do that again. Um, so this year I'm, I'm doing 12, and the next one that's coming up is Michigan. Uh, so uh, be in Sault Ste. Marie at uh, the Quaid Casino, and it's going to be awesome. It's a, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best event in the nation. That it's, I think it, I think it's one of the top ones. We've been there the past couple of years yeah. and had an awesome time. And then you have a chance. You guys will have a chance to meet all of us at Michigan Paragon 10, uh, August 22nd to 24th. It is an awesome event. And you can ask, I can pick up a copy of How to Be a Paranormal Detective there, and you can ask Greg some questions in person. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, sir. The story from the interview that probably affected me the most was the one Greg told about his Pizza Hut assistant manager days before he was a paranormal detective. And that was the one where he had that girl employee that had a seizure right after saying, they're here. It fascinated and terrified me. And we decided to use that energy as inspiration for this episode's song, The Captured Soul. Listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know, we just hung out with our Patreon community last night and had a really great time talking about horror movies, uh, the new New York Times story that the Department of Defense and the Air Force is studying UFOs, except they're calling them UAPs. Um, and we just had a lot of fun chatting with everybody about our favorite paranormal topics and horror movies and stuff like that. And we'd love to do that with you. If you're enjoying the podcast and the songs and everything else we put together, then please check out our Patreon community at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And of course, every single episode, we shout out to our Patreon, Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned's at the level where he gets a shout out in every single episode. And we'd love to shout you out too. So please check out the site, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Wetting your pants is farther than almost anybody will go. Like that's, uh, that's an on with the show thing where you're like, uh, across, you know, I draw the line. Oh, I can't explain that. What's that about?